Hello, you're listening to season two of Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Adrians, and this podcast is all about the question, what does it mean to live a life driven by curiosity, creativity, and love over fear? Each week, you can tune in to hear me discussing various topics related to this question with leaders, artists, and entrepreneurs who are each living out this pursuit in their own unique ways. When you've finished listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast, leave a comment, and tell a friend. You can find all the show notes over at dinaadrians.com slash ecppodcast. Now settle in, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I'm here today with Vesna Chef, who is, uh, and I just realized after saying your name out loud, it's just like chef, like somebody who cooks. <laughs> um, Vesna Chef uh, is an emotive abstract painter and musician living in Philadelphia. She combines sounds, movement, and color and encompassing performances. I first discovered Vesna last summer at a concert in D.C. um, at a little art gallery with a bunch of other performers, and I just really appreciated her energy, and she plays the ukulele. I'm also a ukulele player, so, you know, that was a nice little connection. And she makes really cool works of art and also has been doing some interesting things, I think, um, collaborating with other artists as well. So we'll get to dive into that in a bit. Uh, Let's see. Vesna's work is inspired by stories of social and personal revolution and resilience and seeks to fully celebrate the small yet powerful moments of freedom we experience with struggles. She uses water as a main tool of creation and a source of inspiration using large brush brush strokes and mixed media to add depth and dimension to her works on paper. On stage, she merges sounds with colors in an empowering and colorful musical and visual performance. So I'm so excited to chat with Vesna about her story today. Welcome to the show, Vesna. Thanks so much for having me, Dina. I appreciate uh, having the chance to talk with you. So to start off with, can you just, just uh, first of all, if there's anything else in your bio that you'd like to fill in to introduce yourself, um, but also just sharing a little bit about sort of your journey and like, how did you get to this moment where you're really kind of living as a working artist? Cool. Yeah, this is a fun question um, because a lot of people ask me if I went to school for painting or art or music, um, and I didn't go to school for any of those things. So I had always sang growing up um, when I was little. I would like hum melodies and I can remember like sitting in the back seat of the car, just looking out the window, humming melodies to myself, um, just making up songs. And then uh, so I'd always had that. And in high school, I would walk past like a cafe where I lived and it was my dream just to play in a cafe. I thought that would be so cool if I was able to do that. So I... I'd always played music, and in college, I wanted to go out and play at open mics, um, but I didn't play any instruments, or I, did, I wanted to perform at open mics, but I didn't play any instruments, so um, I would just sing, and my dad and I were at a thrift store, and we came across this ukulele that was there. It was like a handmade ukulele, and it was sort of like oddly shaped, and it had the name Lauren Marie carved into the back of it, 
And I picked it up and looked at it and was like, mm, I don't really know if I should play this. My mom had gotten me a guitar when I went to college, so I thought I should maybe focus on learning the guitar before getting another instrument. So I put it down and walked away. And I turned around and looked back and I was like, that woman is holding my ukulele. Like someone else had picked it up and I was like, I'm, I think I need that. <laughs> I'm pretty awesome. sure it's fine. <laughs> um, so she put it down and I walked back over and uh, picked it up and it was only $14. So it was like, even if I didn't end up playing it, it wasn't that much of like a monetary investment. So that would be okay. But I ended up just carrying it around with me and learned to play ukulele at bus stops in San Francisco, which is where I would be standing for long periods of time holding my ukulele um, and just playing different melodies and coming up with songs too in those moments so that I could perform at open mics. So then I would go to open mics and some of which I could get into uh, even though they would be, they're like a bar or something. And like, usually they don't let people who are under 21 play at the open mic. But since I was a musician, they would let me like play early in the open mic and then leave before I got late. Um, and my dad would also go with me to like, I don't know, <laughs> for <laughs> whatever reason, like they would let me in if he was also there. Adult supervision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was just interested in playing. I had like no interest in doing anything else. Um, and meeting people and stuff. So uh, I played at open mics in San Francisco, and I then um, met a lot of musicians in the open mic scene um, and started playing uh, with someone who I met, um, David Cologne. Uh, we started playing in a band together um, called Salt and Sage, and he had this like amazing voice, um, and we like met each other sort of because I was playing one of my songs and he was singing harmony like perfectly in the back of like the cafe to the song as I was playing it. Um, so then we decided so we awesome. should play music together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do all these like really crazy vocal things and he was just like doing them along with me. It was like our voices were just like built together or something like meant to That's like a moment together. out of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> It's really magical and like performing with him is like really magical. It's just like we talk about it as we have this like third voice between the two of us. Mm. Um, and it just creates this like it's a whole entity on its own. <laughs> there, wow. There's us and then there's our voices together, which have this entity. Um, so David and I started playing together in San Francisco and we would play at different coffee shops, um, bars. At that point, I had gotten older, too, so I could go to bars <laughs> and play there. Um, and we got asked to play at this tiny little coffee shop in San Francisco called Moby Toby's. It was in the um, Hayes Valley area. So we played at this coffee shop, and there we had our friends who came. It was a small coffee shop, so there's maybe like 10 people there total, and the place felt like really full. So we were playing there, and... There were our friends, and then there was um, this couple who was also there, and the there was a woman who was with this couple, and she asked if we would be interested in playing a fundraiser for a school that she worked at in San Francisco. And um, we were like, yeah, sure, we'd love to play. So we go to this fundraiser, and it turns out to be in this like mansion loft in the Mission District of San Francisco, like you could fit like five people fully stretched out, like in the bathtub of this loft. It was like gorgeous. Um, yeah. 
So we go to this, like, play this fundraiser, um, and we get to meet, like, everyone at the school, the principal, the teachers who work there, and, like, one of the families who hosted the event at their uh, at their house. And uh, so I got to meet all of the teachers and the principal, and they happened to be looking for a, an art teacher for their school. It was a middle school. Um, and I also happened to be getting my teaching credential because I love teaching for lots of reasons. Um, just youth development is really important to me. Um, more so like how you teach, uh, is really important. Um, so I had gone into teaching, um, and then that also allowed me to have evenings, weekends, and summers to pursue music. So I met everyone at this school and they asked if I'd be interested in applying to be the teacher for the art teacher for the school. So I sent in, um, my application and they asked me to come in for a trial lesson. I went in for that. Um, and then they offered me the position to be the art teacher at this middle school in San Francisco. So once I found out I was going to be the art teacher at a middle school in San Francisco, I thought about what is it that I would have wanted to learn as a middle school student. Um, yeah, thinking back into my middle school ages and what I thought about was that I wish I'd had the confidence um, to pursue visual art because I felt like it was something that if you weren't born with it, like if you weren't born just drawing, then you weren't a visual artist um, or doodling, you know, like I didn't doodle at all. Um, I thought it was just something like if you weren't sort of like born with it and doing it, then it wasn't necessarily something you'd pursue. So um, I developed this thing called the confidence curriculum, and that is what I uh, like brought to the students. And I basically communicated like that you have something to share and I am interested in hearing what you have to share. And it's very important to the world that we hear your thoughts and ideas um, through whatever it is that you create. So um, I started teaching visual art, and I also thought, if I'm going to be teaching this, I should probably engage with it myself and try and learn how to draw and paint for myself. <laughs> um, so this is a long story, <laughs> I'm realizing. No, that's okay. This is all good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then I started teaching myself how to draw. Um, I use this book called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain which uh, helps you get out of, it helps you like learn to see things as an artist. So learning to see colors and shapes as opposed to objects. So like if you're looking at your hand, you would see different, um, the different parts of your hand and how they fit together versus just seeing like five fingers and a palm um, because that is how you create something that looks uh, like accurate to what it is that you're trying to draw. So I focused on painting portraits um, in watercolor because I heard that portraits were the hardest thing to draw or like faces were the hardest thing to draw um, and also using watercolor because one, I loved watercolor, but two, I heard that watercolor was the hardest medium to like use or work with and I thought, well, if I just go for like the hardest of the hard, then that'll make everything I do after that easier, um, which I learned a lot through focusing on just portraits and watercolor, uh, but it basically meant that I could paint 
watercolor portraits and that's it <laughs> like I didn't necessarily have it wasn't like I could do everything just because I could do this one thing um, but I really appreciated just focusing on one type of subject and one medium um, and really limiting my uh, my materials um, and my subjects when I first started painting gave me kind of like a base for what I would do later on um, so after painting uh, watercolor portraits pretty much on the weekends like while I was teaching I would sort of dedicate the weekend to painting a portrait um, and then like bring that in and talk through the process of trying to do this with my class so that I was like learning along with them um, then I just fell in love with the textures of watercolor and realized that I could just capture those textures on the page and they didn't have to be confined mm -hmm. to a form. They didn't have to be in the shape of a portrait or the shape of a still life or um, any particular object. They could just be the colors and textures and that created an, the same amount of meaning to me um, or that conveyed a lot of meaning aside from having a subject. So then I uh, just got into just playing with watercolor. And that is what I feel like I do now. It's like I play with watercolor um, and capture emotion of what I'm thinking or my experience onto the page through watercolor textures. Mm. So that takes us to... <laughs> I feel like that's like, <laughs> I could keep going because there's also the music part of it too. And that is kind of like how yeah. the music led to the visual art, but... I'll just we'll leave it there for now. Yeah, we'll we'll dive into the other stuff in a, a little further down. Okay. So it's so funny listening to your story because I feel like there are so many elements of your story that are like a parallel universe to my story. Mm, uh -huh. <laughs> like I had the same experience when I was maybe 19 or 20 mm. of um it wasn't a thrift store. I, I went into a actually a music store. I was like working at a camp in Wyoming in the middle of nowhere and I had a day off and I went into town and uh you know it was a small town so like there wasn't that much there but there was a music store that was selling instruments mm -hmm. and I similarly have always been a singer uh and I didn't like I played trumpet in middle school but like you can't sing and play the trumpet at the same time <laughs> uh, and so I'd always wanted an instrument that I could play to like accompany myself um and I walked into this instrument store and I was just kind of like browsing and looking at the instruments, picking stuff up, playing with it a little bit. And they had a ukulele there that was, it was painted like electric blue. <laughs> um, and it was 30 bucks for a new ukulele. Hey. Uh, and I was like... Uh, I was like working at summer camp and I was going to have to fly home at the end of the summer. And I was like, I don't know if I really need to be getting this other thing that like is going to add to my luggage and am I really going to play it? And I walked out of the store without having bought it. And the rest of the day, I was like walking around town, going to lunch, like sitting at a coffee shop. And I could not stop thinking about that ukulele. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I walked back into that store and I bought it. Mm -hmm. Um... But unlike you, I, uh, I, I I played around with it a while at the beginning, and then I sort of, life happened, and uh, at some point it sort of 
sat in the closet or in my living room and like I just didn't pick it up for a really long time. And it's only been in the last year or so that I have really gotten back into um, learning how to play the ukulele and and uh, actually starting to get a little bit more comfortable and better with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like, I, I, it's really just interesting to hear uh, that same story of like, you feel drawn to this object mm-hmm. uh and you're like you're not really sure if it's the right thing for you but like there's just something about it that you feel drawn to mm-hmm. um and uh the other thing is just that my I also have a background in youth development and education but like mm. my it's just it's just fascinating because <laughs> we I feel like we have done a lot of the same things but on very different paths um right yeah yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh so yeah, but I love I loved when you were talking about uh getting that job as a middle school art teacher. Mm-hmm. You said when you got the job and you found out you were going to be teaching art to middle school students, you thought about if I were a middle school when I was in middle school, what would I have loved to learn? Mm-hmm. And I love that you took that approach because I feel like that's so opposite of how a lot of teachers uh, go about teaching. And I know that there's a lot of restrictions in our education system and like things that teachers have to teach, Mm. but there's something about like, it's almost like you flipped the, the perspective to, to open yourself up to that sort of vulnerability of like, uh, both like, what would you have wanted to learn as a middle school student? And then also the willingness to go through that learning process with your students. How, what was that like in terms of, yeah, just in terms of that vulnerability piece? Did you ever feel self-conscious about going in and saying, you know, like, I'm, I'm learning these things too? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I feel like one of, one of the most <laughs> just intense days I feel like of my life was the first day that I taught middle school. <laughs> Um, and I had eighth grade as my first class. So I taught Mm. the whole, the whole, I taught the whole school. Um, I was the only art teacher at the school. Uh, it was either you took art or Spanish. So students would come to my class and say like, look, I'm not an artist, but I really wasn't going to be taking Spanish. So here I am. Um, (laughs) and that was interesting to like meet kids, um, when they came with that perspective, because, uh, I just feel like I developed so much as a teacher trying to teach like people who were convinced that they were not artists. Like mm. in middle school, if you think you are not something, like you don't do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to try and do something that you think you're like not good at at that age. Uh, at least a lot of a lot of kids aren't. Um, but so I would, uh, I realized that like the thing wasn't that like students were not capable of being artists. It was that there was, they didn't have, um, they were not confident in their abilities to create meaningful art. So that was what mm. um, I, I like focused on. And for myself to develop that confidence, um, for me, I had to see that I could create something realistic. That was my like mm. thing that indicated that I, t- for myself, that I was good at something. And that is for whatever reason I had like, picked up on that that seems like 
the standard for good art in my mind um, at the time. So I wanted to create something that looked realistic. Um, and so I like brought in my sketches and my like drawings and paintings to the class. Um, and that was like, I think it was just really cool to share that experience with my students because they saw that I was also in the process of learning something mm. um, and that I didn't have all the answers, um, but that I was there to support them in figuring out the answers that they were looking for. So students would bring their work up to me in class and say, like, this isn't turning out, like, this doesn't look good. It doesn't look like uh, the thing. And I'd be like, okay, well, what what is it that you are trying to um, like draw or like what is it about it that you don't like and they would point out like different parts of the painting to me um and say like this part doesn't look like this or this part doesn't look like this uh and just in doing that and saying it out loud they would have ideas for how to do it differently and then go back to their desks so I wouldn't even I wouldn't tell them like (laughs) this is like you know how it should be or how it shouldn't be I would ask like what is it that you're trying to do and what about this isn't um, there yet? There isn't mm. showing that. Those are like top-notch coaching skills right there. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about asking the questions. It's, I mean, I guess it's also maybe a little bit of like Socratic method of teaching. Uh, I think mm. if I'm remembering correctly what that means. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But just, you know, asking the questions back to the students and getting them to sort of come to their own conclusions um that's very cool yeah what do you feel like you learned the most out of that process of of teaching middle school students Mm. I think that when given when like bestowed confidence that we are capable of so much (laughs) Mm. like if someone else believes that we are capable of doing something then it's like you are capable of doing it. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much as good as you are capable of doing it. So, yeah, I think that is what I am like happy to have taken away, or one mm. thing that I'm happy to have taken away from that whole experience. Um, and knowing for myself too, it's like if I have confidence in myself and what I'm doing, then other pe- like, then that is going to be communicated in the work that I do. I was just going to ask you, have you been able to turn that back on yourself? Oh, yeah. You just went straight to the answer. Oh, (laughs) yeah, definitely. Um, In particular with like performing shows more recently. Do you have any particular practices that like help you to sort of maintain that sense of confidence in yourself? Mm. Reflecting on what it is that I have done so far. Um, so I have this planner, which is called the passion planner. Ah, uh, yes. Have you I heard used of to it? Use the, I used to use the passion <gasps> planner. <laughs> wow. I've never heard of someone say used to use because I feel like everyone <laughs> falls in love with it. That's and, like, funny. Never goes back. I, I used that's it funny. for a year and I really liked it. Um, mm. But I found that there were a lot of parts of it that I just wasn't using. And I also discovered that there's like a million different kinds of fancy planners these days. And so then I got really interested in what else was out there. Nice. Uh, Currently I'm using the Panda planner, but I'm not super in love with it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so you were saying you, you use the passion planner. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, so the reflections, which you're familiar with, um, <laughs> are their monthly reflections at the end of each month. There is a full like two page spread for you to write on what is it you felt you did well this past month? What are you grateful for this past month? Past month? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the ways in which you could improve? And I don't always get around to doing the reflections, but when I do, it's a really grounding moment to think like, wow, I have really accomplished a lot this like past month or this past year. Um, and that gives me confidence that going mm. forward, I can accomplish a lot also. <laughs> um, or that I've done something that I never thought I was capable of in this past month, you know, or like in this year. So it's not always through the passion planner that I discover or like realize that, but reflecting in the moments that I'm able to is really helpful in giving me the confidence, like moving Mm. forward. Yeah, that's something that I feel like I have also come to really realize the importance Mm. of over the last few years, um, both for myself and also for some of my coaching clients and friends, like recognizing that... uh, we so we too often like n- never stop to mm-hmm. take stock of what we've done, what we've accomplished, or like what we're grateful for. Um, and I think what's nice about the passion planner is that it has these sort of like built in moments to remind you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's so easy to get stuck in that feeling of like, oh, I haven't accomplished anything. None of the stuff that I do is working, mm-hmm. you know, blah, 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 blah. But then when you actually stop to think about it, uh, like I did on my birthday this year, I was like, okay, what have I accomplished in the last year? And when I actually sat down and cr- like wrote out a list of all of the things that I had accomplished, mm-hmm. I was astounded. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how did I do all of these things? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a huge, huge confidence booster right. for sure. Yeah. I, I also, uh, it's so funny. I think this is now the second time that this is coming up in a podcast interview, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've been reading this book recently that's called How to Communicate Like a Buddhist. Oh. And it's um it talks about i mean it's both about interpersonal communication but it's also about like how do, how are we communicating with ourselves mm. um like what are the sort of um what's what's like the self talk mm. that we're doing mm. and i think that practice of gratitude and practice of like taking stock of accomplishments mm-hmm can be really critical in flipping the switch of self-talk from like being overly negative mm-hmm. to being more sort of realistic and optimistic. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So I'm looking at your bio again and I'm mm-hmm. reading this sentence. Her work is inspired by stories of social and personal revolution and resilience mm. and seeks to fully celebrate the small yet powerful moments of freedom that we experience within struggles. Mm. Tell me more about that. Cool. It's <laughs> a good sentence. <laughs> <laughs> when you read it back to me, I'm like, dang, yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um taken a long time to get to that sentence you know I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um so more recently uh in my performance um 
I have put together this collection of songs um, that I've written and one cover, and it takes you through this journey of recognizing like the moments in which you sort of go through challenges and celebrate and like celebrating um, moving yourself through those. Um, so I also have like throughout my artist life and my life, um, read a lot of autobiographies by radical women of color mm. and like the stories of women of color within radical, radical organizations is very different than their male comrades. Um, interesting. And like just the sexism that they deal with, they not only deal with racism, but also sexism, um, within the parties that they're part of. Yeah. So those stories are really important for me to be told um, cause I just didn't learn about them growing up. Um, uh, I didn't learn about them in school or like just didn't hear about them, you know, and like knew they existed, um, being a woman of color, but hadn't like heard people talk about them. Um, hmm. so I got really into reading autobiographies of like Asada Shakur, Angela Davis. Um, more recently I read an, uh, a mem or like a, I'm not sure what it's called exactly a memoir maybe by um, Gabrielle Union who went grew up in the same city that I did um, and it's like a very like predominantly white wealthy city um, and Gabrielle Union grew up there as a black woman um, so it was like really interesting to like read her story because wow. I was like you're like one of ten of us it's <laughs> like a really small amount you know and to have her like tell this story was really powerful um, but I am inspired by those stories and feel like they need to be told and heard more. So mm. through my portraiture, I started painting women of color in portraiture and watercolor um, as like not through the lens of um, like sexualization or uh, like um, uh, the patriarchy, I was trying to think of that word, <laughs> erased it from my vocabulary, no, uh, patriarchy, um, and uh, like colonialism or oppression, but just as full human beings, um, as beautiful and empowered and powerful and delicate. Um, I feel like all these things are captured through watercolor. Uh, so mm -hmm. I started painting women of color and watercolor. That was like my main focus for when I first started painting. Um, and then that sort of same story has transitioned into my songs and telling my own story through the music that I make. Um, and I'm at this point where I'm like merging the watercolors and the performance um, and the music uh, live into like a cohesive performance that shows how the marks that show up on canvas are impacted and influenced by the experiences that I have. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure if that answered the question. I kind of got a little lost. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I think you definitely uh, got at it. Um, okay. I think it, it's it's interesting to hear it because I, I, you know, I also follow you on Instagram and and was noticing recently uh, you just you just recently did one of these performances that you're talking about, right? And uh, mm -hmm. where you sort of combine the different elements together. Um, mm so 
I mean, I think you you sort of just talked about this a little bit, but like that, it sounds like the evolution of that sort of combined performance came out of uh, the desire to tell these stories um, of women of color, and mm. uh, that is is was the impetus a little bit of like wanting to show sort of the multi-dimensional uh like wanting to sort of tell these stories from a multi-dimensional standpoint i guess mm. yeah um to paint a full picture yeah i guess literally um to paint a full picture um and not just through like the art that I make but how I engage with that art so like Hmm. who am I collaborating with who am I supporting just in the terms of like spending my own money you know like who am I uh which artists am I supporting companies am I supporting Hmm. business owners you know um that like in spending money you have agency and how are you using that agency towards things that you want to see in the world you know yeah. Um, and women-owned businesses, like I mostly collaborate with women-owned businesses in creating the work that I do, whether it be performance or like th- like getting hair products or whatever, mm. you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I feel like there was a question that was coming up for me a few minutes ago, and now I'm, I, I think I lost it. <laughs> mm, <gotcha>. um, <laughs> what do you think has been the biggest challenge uh, that you faced in this sort of journey to where you are now? Mm. I feel like I should have thought about this because <laughs> this is a good question. I feel like staying focused on what it is that I want to do can mm. be a challenge just because as a, like in running a business, but also creating art and work. Um, There are like sort of two things that you have to be doing simultaneously. Uh, So finding ways in which to do the business aspects that don't take away from doing the art aspects. Um, Mm. Yeah, that is like a challenge that I am still navigating and still figuring out. But that when I like usually when I reflect, like those are the times that help keep me like grounded in my purpose and um, keep me focused on what is going to be helpful. Um, Yeah, finding a balance of sort of managing the work that I do and then doing the work that I do. Mm. Can you talk a little bit? Because I mean, I think that that process of, I think like what the this, the challenge of like balancing the business side of your art from the creation side of your art, I think mm-hmm. is a common challenge for people um, who mm-hmm. go down that path. Mm-hmm. And um, I also think that for people who choose to make a living from art, mm-hmm. there's not really a clear path for that, right? Like there's a million different ways that people manage to make that work for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, you know, okay, from an outside perspective, it's like, okay, so you're performing music, you're painting, uh, sometimes you do 
live painting and music performances. Mm-hmm. What does that actually look like for you in terms of like, okay, I'm actually able to make an income and sustain myself? Mm. It is planning ahead. <laughs> so thinking about like into the future, um, this is something that I've had to just be more intentional about. Like if I want to do, if I want to like be doing what I'm doing now in the future, I have to plan for it. (laughs) So um, that means like reaching out to people about playing shows or um, doing a workshop um, or uh, paintings, different things. um, But trying to schedule those out in the future um, is really helpful so that I can create like a sustainable income over time as opposed to just like everything now but not being sure where it's going to go in the future you know um and yeah so that that is a part of uh how I like am able to do it continually um and something that I'm still growing and learning in um right now but trying to think about like how to plan for things in advance so that I'm not just doing things in the moment or playing catch up, you know, for stuff that like I have to finish doing in the moment. Hmm. Do you have any cool projects coming up that you're really excited about? Mm. So I've been merging these two things. Um, So like sound and color was a performance that I recently did in New York. And that was with two other artists, um, Bethlehem and Shanina Diana. Um, And we created a visual and musical experience live at this art fair. It's called the Affordable Art Fair. Um, We brought in papers and paints um, and then fabrics, which, so we started off with creating sound in our like booth area, um, sound and color. So I was painting on the canvas on the paper while Bethlehem was creating sounds inspired by the marks that I was doing on the paper. Um, And then we transitioned to taking the art off of the page and bringing it into the space by using fabrics. So as I would do a mark on the canvas or use a certain color on the paper, I would take a piece of fabric out that like matched that color to show how this was an extension of the work um, that didn't end on the paper, but it continued into our space. Um, And then I, me, Shanina, and Bethlehem brought those fabrics into the audience and continued to create um, what I was thinking of it as like a a huge painting throughout the entire space, but the painting was being created and disappearing as we were going. So it's like if you had an aerial view of the space, you would see like a whole painting going throughout made with fabric and movement. But as like the audience experiencing it, it was like the painting was um, being painted and then disappearing behind us as we continued to move, if that makes sense. <laughs> mm, that's really cool. I almost, I, um, I, I wish that you like had an aerial video camera <laughs> <right>. <laughs> to capture this painting being made in progress. Yeah, for next time. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited to do more performances like that where uh, I'm bringing sound and movement and color alive in the space through dance and performance. Um, Yeah, so I have, 
I'm looking into the future for more opportunities like that. Um, there are some potential things, but nothing set in stone yet at the moment for that. Cool. Mm-hmm. And if people want to follow you and uh, hear about your work as it's coming up, uh, where mm-hmm. can they go? You can go to vesnachef.com. That's V-E-S-S-N-A-S-C-H-E-F-F.com. Um, that is my website, and I communicate everything through there. I also have Instagram, um, which is also just my name, Vesna Chef. Um, and on Facebook and social media, you can find me, any other social media platforms. Uh, All, the social me media. All the social media. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also on Spotify. I have music on Spotify. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show, Vesna. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and make sure you tell your friends to come listen. And remember, we'll be back with another episode next Monday. 